Here we go, here we go, here we go again. More lower ducks, not ducks, but maybe there could be lower ducks, I guess, at some point. This is lower decks madness. <laughs> oh, right. So, well, there could yeah. be ducks down in cetacean, down in the cetacean area. In fact, if I remember right, I think the uh, I think the Sternbach uh, deck plans, I think the Master Systems display for the Gaussi class, mm-hmm. I think somewhere on one of those decks is a couple of rubber ducks. Uh, if you look really closely, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You're right. I do remember that. Okay, awesome. Anyways, so you know what? This is Lower Ducks. Um, and I'm Michael Dismuke with uh continuing conversations. This is a podcast about anything and everything Star Trek Adventures RPG, along with you know, I'm a blogger on Continuing Missions, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures RPG, and I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures RPG. I said Star Trek Adventures RPG a lot. Okay, and now introducing Jim Johnson. Hey everybody, uh, Jim Johnson, uh, project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG, published by Medipius Entertainment. Low these many years and a co-host on this here show with Michael Dismuke. Low these many eighty odd episodes now. I think uh, we're getting on we're getting on to eighty here. I think uh, Starbase yep. eighty, no, not Starbase eighty, but eighty <laughs> episodes. So uh, yeah, just uh, banging along here, having a great time uh, talking about all about lower decks. Now these last couple of weeks, continuing to do that for the next few weeks, and uh, tonight we'll be talking all about Chapter Four of the uh, Lower Decks campaign guide. And uh, we have the the party responsible for writing uh, the entirety of this chapter, pretty much. And uh, Aaron, introduce yourself, please. I'm I'm Aaron Pallier. I'm uh, a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures. I've been around since, I guess, the beginning. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to focus on starship, science, technology, engineering stuff. Um, so, yeah, it, I guess it, it I fit fairly well for writing writing this chapter on science and technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he also plays the chief science officer of the USS Pioneer, the hat he's wearing there, which is my game. He plays Commander mm. Talak Javnalanid, which is a very, very fun Tellerite science officer to have. All right. All right. You want me to take the lead, Michael? You want to? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, this episode, uh, this chapter is all about uh, chapter four of the Lord Next Campaign Guide, which is all about science and technology. Uh, we got two sub chapters here. The first one's Wonders of the Universe which talks about all the science, all the stellar phenomena, et cetera, et cetera, that we uh, we see to some extent in uh, Lower Decks in the in the first few, first few seasons there, uh, but actually goes into a lot more detail, obviously, because we need to provide game masters and players with enough science-y content that you can spin and fold and mutilate that into your own campaigns and stories. So this this is a, the, a lot of the information in here is a... Uh, um, a continuation and expansion and uh, additional stuff that builds on from what we had in the core book and the science the science division book and even the Shackleton book the, the appendix in the Shackleton book that talked about building out your own sectors with the uh, spectral classes of stars and sectors and all that great stuff all that great sciencey stuff that um, Aaron brings to the table here so uh, I'm going to stop rambling and just have Aaron once you kick us kick us into this uh, this first part of the of the chapter here tell us all about uh, what you wanted to bring in here as far as uh, science and stellar phenomena and uh, so on and so forth. Well, I didn't, I didn't want to repeat a lot of the things that I had said in, in previous books, like uh, the core book, the science division book. So I wanted to add things to it uh, that, that we specifically saw in lower decks. Um, So 
a lot of what I have written in, in this first part is basically saying, Hey, look, um, the universe is filled with dangerous things. <laughs> the whole universe is dangerous. Just regular vacuum outside your space spaceship is going to be dangerous. Um, what you need to do is figure out how to make that into an interesting story and not have it so historic that it, it doesn't really connect with your characters. Um, and that's, that kind of gets into the, the later part with like the koala at the end of space and time, mm -hmm. you don't want something so weird that your characters can't connect with it. You need to have it grounded in something else. Yeah. So, I, we, we, we've talked about it too. In previous, I like to add here too, is some people are wondering how they can use this. I, for one, am not the type to just come, you, Aaron, are able to come up with this stuff, but you hit that keyboard and you come up with all these stellar phenomenons. Me, I'll oftentimes while I'm in a game, I will cut and paste or read directly from, by the way, this is what you're coming across. Um, and so you've just added to the wealth of resource from the science division, the Shackleton division, all these spatial anomalies. These are just even more to create variety of gameplay for game masters, which is what I really like about them. Uh, well, thanks. Thanks. And yeah, please feel free to like direct me. Otherwise, again, I tend to babble when I, uh, when I talk about these things, um, it can't, be so worse than me. It can't be any worse than me. I'll, I'll just go on tangents all night long. So, uh, but yeah, let, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about, um, like some of the stuff that you had in here, obviously you added more detail about the class, uh, one through five, um, 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 stars and, and accretion discs and all that great stuff. You talk about yeah. planetoids to some extent. Uh, you talk more about how things have effects on ships. Of course, that's really important for, for Star Trek and for gaming because it's like space is full of, I don't remember the direct quote from McCoy in the J.J. Abrams movie about, you know, space is full of terror and death and will, <laughs> it will is there waiting to destroy you. And you think about it, these ships are have very thin hulls and, and have this energy barrier, you know, protecting you from certain death and, if like, I mean, me, I don't know, like in this day and age, if I were transported onto a starship, I, I would be, that would be in the back of my mind. Like I'm on a ship that could be wiped out in like a matter of microseconds. And uh, you just, I guess you just put that in the back of your mind and you don't think about it and get on with your day. But, uh, uh, you know, you have this great sidebar about, you know, the effects of things on starships and like, yeah. literally, like, I know we riff all the time. Like, you know, the three of us could easily take any sentence out of that sidebar and create a whole episode or campaign out of that just one single sentence because that's what you do. You pack so much great stuff into here. And that's something I want to remind game masters and players about this, not just this book, but all of our books is, is they're dense, right? They, they are, they are idea heavy and that's by design. And like some people might get tired of reading these books, but like there, there is so much potential packed into every one of these pages that you really should be spending some time unpacking them. And, but yeah, tell me, tell, tell us a little bit about the, you know, just just writing these sidebars about the effects on ships and stuff. Well, yeah, I, I wanted to try to um, combine a lot of different ideas and in, into certain categories. So, like with the the black hole accretion discs, I, I didn't want to just write about black hole accretion discs and and what their effect on a starship can do. Like, yeah, I can I do do that, but I also wanted to explain what accretion discs were. You know that how how debris tends to fall down into these discs rotating around it's how planets form it's how moons form it's how rings are because roche limit and i can ex i kind of explain what a roche limit is it's basically where a body gets too close to another large body and one side of that body wants to pull faster 
towards the larger body than the back end. So it tears it apart. It's why uh, gas giants tend to have rings because they're really large and the things that are around them are fairly small. So uh, I, I try to like put in with accretion disks, these black hole accretion disks, like the really easy things, the low energy stuff is like, oh, you know, planetary rings. Let's just do that. Planetary rings. Then you get into higher energy stuff. But for effects on ships, I thought, okay, well, in a low energy environment, so a planetary ring system, let's say what you see Voyager going across in, in the intro sequence to, to Star Trek Voyager, you know, the, the biggest problem is basically maneuvering around the larger pieces of a ring system, like dust, gas, little pebbles are probably getting knocked away by the, the navigational deflector. But when you have something the size of a school bus or, or a runabout coming at you, you might want to actually maneuver away from that rather than rely on your um, deflector dish. So that's where I say, hey, look, the complication range for any any contasks might increase by one or two, depending on how thick the ring system is here. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can you can take stress damage from failing that. Uh, then, then you get into like the class three and four discs and that's like stellar orbital speed. So like a planetary accretion disc, something like that, or really large, really large super gas giants. And it's the same thing. It's like increasing the difficulty of the contasks and also the complication range, increasing the damage more and uh, giving some ideas for like different complications that can occur if, if the character rolls a complication, like I have down here degraded shield efficiency or navigational sensors blinded, uh, setting up a gravitational eddy because your impulse drive is now like setting up some swirling pattern behind you. And then the class five ones are like, hey, this is a black hole accretion disk. If you're going to be in it, even with shields up, you're likely not in for a good time because uh, a black hole's accretion disk has debris that's traveling at very close to the speed of light and particles rubbing against each other at very close to the speed of light produces ions and radiation. And that can be further accelerated if the black hole is rotating and you have a magnetic field. Uh, And to be clear, this was all inspired from just that opening sequence in lower decks, right? Yeah. Them tumbling towards (laughs) like a black. I'm like, Oh oh no. no. I love that. I love that. So if you're all wondering what's happening in that first opening scene, this is what's happening. All this of these is, is so cool. Get, you need to get your ship away from that accretion disc before uh, everyone turns into red goo inside. Or to uh, go into it really fast so that you can actually get enough velocity to escape it, right? Unless you're traveling with the particles that are traveling at near the speed of light. But then even if you do, then you actually have some time dilation issues. Um, Always remember time dilation. That's why there's a limit on your impulse sublight speed. If you didn't know that, you don't want to get too close to the speed of light. Otherwise, I don't need to know that. That's why I have you as my chief science officer. You're supposed to tell me that as I'm yeah, going into yeah, yeah. it. I mean, <laughs> it, it's, it's not that bad up until you get very close to the speed of light. But, you know, even at half the speed of light, let's say, I think, I think the maximum for impulse speed is limited to like a third of the speed of light. But even if you were at half, the time dilation is not too bad. I forget exactly what it is. I think it's like 0.7 or something like that. Uh, anyway, anyway. Okay, back to Michael level stuff. What's the difference yeah, yeah, between yeah. a planet and a planetoid? Size. 
No, that's it. Um, if if you wanted to actually have, uh, you could actually have a Tellarite style debate on what is a planet and what is a planetoid, uh, depending on like the modern definitions. Mm. But um, in general, it would be like, hey, it's a planet if it if it is large enough to hold an atmosphere over a long term period. Um, so a planetoid would be something, you know, you could, it's still large. Like you could say the moon would be a planetoid if it was off, off by itself. Ceres, the, the, the asteroid belts, largest asteroid is a planetoid, right? Um, we would probably define them as like minor planets today, but I'm sure that in, in the 23rd and 24th centuries, their, their definitions are slightly different. Um, but okay. yeah. Planetoids are basically just smaller worlds that are typically lifeless, have no atmosphere, um, can be made of rock, ice, or a combination of them both. And that does not mean that they are boring at all. That does not mean that they don't have tons of things that could be very, very interesting about them. Uh, I mean, if you just think about the moon, you can go, okay, well, there are like the 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 seas the the large flat black areas of, of volcanic remnants then you have the mountains but you also have like the pole areas that you could have deep craters that have ice in and ice caverns and then you know old volcanic tubes lava tubes that are underneath the surface and okay. you can keep going with these interesting ideas that any lifeless quote unquote planet could a planetoid could easily have life yeah, I like how you even add that they could be places where there's secret weapons caches and treasure yeah. troves. So, yeah. All and right. I'm not sure if it's in Alpha Canon or if it was mentioned in the books. And this is where I should have asked Scott at one point. Uh, but dilithium does not like forming on high in high gravity environments like large planets. So, like Earth doesn't have dilithium, but asteroids can have dilithium form. Okay, so like the the place that has lots of dilithium in in the solar system is Io, just because there's lots of volcanism. It's small; it doesn't really hold an atmosphere. But I mean, hey, you're mining moons and asteroids for for dilithium. This is this is where those really cool um, subspace enhanced elements are that are that have like strange quirks in them. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, so deep. So deep. All this, Love all, this, it. all this great science that you can drop right into your game and make it feel Star Trek. So um, you got it right from the source here, folks. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and, and you think the plant as a, in a planetoid, the environment's also going to be dangerous. This is one of those space will kill you because there's no atmosphere. So you have to have EVA suits. It's a low gravity environment. So anything that you do is going to have feel like there's more momentum to it there there isn't it's just like hey if i jump i'm gonna jump really high and then come down with the same force that i would have normally jumped at mm -hmm. or if i start moving really fast it's going to be harder to stop you know that that kind of stuff but it's it's a deadly environment and things might weigh less but they still have the same amount of mass right yeah mm -hmm. so if you're if you're a game master looking for interesting venues and places to stage uh you know, desperate uh, uh, conflicts or uh, encounters or something. You know, just get get yourself in an EVA suit on a life on a on a um, on a planetoid that has no atmosphere and uh, low gravity, and uh, mm -hmm. ratchet up that complication range. Wrap you know, spend some threat, get some traits going on in there, and uh, and see what happens. Like you know, how 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 do your players approach a fight differently when they know if my EVA suit gets a cut 
or or something happens, then I'm in real trouble, even beyond the adversary I'm facing. Like there's the whole environment thing to tie into that. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, certainly play with that. All right, great. Let's uh, let's talk a little about a little bit about. Now, this is something I really knew nothing about prior to reading your uh, description here in the book. But oh. uh, tell us a little bit about Grey Goo. Okay, Grey Goo. Um, so when the episode of Lower Decks came on, that actually had like the this material that actually just took inorganic material and grew new life forms out of it. I immediately thought of a gray goo situation that this was bad. Now, gray goo is like an, an, a real idea. And it actually comes from uh, an engineer that's named Drexler. It's not, it's not our Drexler. It's, it's a, it's a different Drexler, but he kind of came up with this idea of, of a nano plague that, Hey, it's very possible that if we made self-replicating nano machines that they could go out and just basically eat everything and turn it into more versions of themselves. And all that would be left is a big ball of gray goo where Earth used to be. Um, so the gray goo, I had to come up with a acronym that would spell out gray goo. So genetic replication engrams from geological originating objects, basically saying, hey, there's a there's machines that take geological originating objects, non-organic material, and turn it into genetic material. Fantastic. How many minutes did it take you to do that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, it wasn't that long. I was just like, okay, I need to spell out Grey Goo. Uh, all right. Uh, but, you know, nanites aren't a thing that that is unknown in the Star Trek universe. The, we, we've known that the Borg have had them forever. Uh, and medical nanites would have been a thing, likely even into like the 23rd century. It, it, it seems like that would not be difficult for the technology to really uh allow to be developed okay but it's how do you control that kind of technology what is it typically used for and i I go into a few other things later in this chapter of of what nanites are actually used for that aren't like borg-ish style nanites uh that will literally go into your cells rewrite your dna and then take the minerals in your blood and create cybernetic implants out of them like medical nanites would be a thing that you would inject into yourself and they would sit there and repair damage or uh slice out damaged dna out of out of your cells to repair like let's say cancer that's why there's no cancer it's supposed to be a comedy show mommy i i know (laughs) it's supposed to be comedy and and this is this is the 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 point of the gray goo that was from that episode is that if Cerritos was good to be there um, and and solving the problem as it is, is because if you have enough material around where this gray goo can just breed, you might not be able to stop it. And yeah, that's scary. But the comedy of it is, hey, look, I can use medical nanites for uh, comedic purposes, but there's a fine line between comedy and body horror. And we need (laughs) to keep that in mind, folks. Yeah. Um, and, and I give like the example, it might be really funny to, to buff up really fast to get like huge muscles using medical nanites to, to help build extra muscles. But if there is a problem with those medical nanites, you don't want all of your tissue turning into muscle because then you have no nervous system. And that's the body horror aspect. Like, yeah, there's a fine line between having something that might be a little funny for a quick gag to being, Hey, this is actually either a story point that can be made for a serious story or um, maybe we don't want to take it that far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
every one of these paragraphs could become its own story. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one of the things I appreciated about the great the whole Greg description is that it had me thinking about the um, uh, the replicators from uh, Stargate mm -hmm. uh, SG one. Just these 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 just these these nanites that just consume everything in their path, and they connect together, and they make bigger you know they make ships or they make things and more of themselves, and they just continue to consume and consume and consume. And it's like it's like it's like the Borg, but even worse because they are just mm -hmm. unstoppable. And um, I mean, obviously they, they found ways to stop them, but uh, I, I just love the concept. And uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. There is a, there is a real body horror element to this that, that doesn't really bear for me anyway, close scrutiny because it just, it just, that, that, that just sets my hackles off. Yeah. And uh, yeah. like when, like, I know there's, there's some fans out there. That, in fact, today I was reading a, a discord commentary from somebody who was uh talking about uh you know uh their their player characters are on a borg ship and uh what would they do if they you know encountered um uh some uh some borg drones who had just been borgified right would they try to stop them would they try to get away and my thought was like what are they even doing lounging around on a borg cube get them the heck out of there you know mm -hmm. start starting some threat because a, a board cube is not a place you just kind of like visit and uh socialize and stuff that is there's a terrifying aspect especially when the borg first appeared in next generation like they were mm -hmm. scary as heck and uh, i think they they lost a little bit of that edge as they continued to go mm -hmm. back oh use them over and over again but you just think about i i think they did a great job with this with um uh you know picard um reflecting on it in in uh in brothers mm -hmm. like after the fact like like they take everything away from you that you are mm -hmm. and like you just think about that right like you mm -hmm. are a person with your own thoughts and feelings and uh um agency and the borg assimilate you and take all of that away that, that like that is not a happy fun place to be right and, and, and they don't even have to actively do it that's the thing like you can it, that's that and it feeds into your whole why, why are you lounging around in a board cube mm -hmm. and it's because these nanites are would be over all over everything and you touch things and it, it, it's kind of like, hey, uh, when you're walking around in real life and you're, you're touching things that people that have had a cold yeah. have also touched, it's a matter of time before you catch that cold. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you can be on that board cube for a little bit in an emergency, but you're going to go through that transporter decon real fast and real hard. And it's probably going to take out all your microfauna in your gut just to make sure you're clean. But if you're just hanging out on that cube, that's kind of terrifying. That's going towards that. But I, I also yeah. mentioned in here like macro scale von Neumann probes, which is also another real life kind of idea of self-replicating probes that would, hey, I send out a von Neumann probe to Proxima Centauri and it takes an asteroid, breaks it down into other material and then builds another von Neumann probe out of it. And then they go on to two different star systems and keep doing that. And that, that sort of idea just you after millions of years, you suddenly have a galaxy filled with von Neumann probes. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are real science ideas or at least real science philosophical ideas that I try to, to punch through here mm -hmm. all the time. So yeah. deep. Don't ever skip an Aaron chapter people ever. <laughs> there's, just, there's just so much, there's so much in here. I mean, we're not going to touch on all of it, obviously, but we, 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 he goes into, or you go into some discussions on, uh, you know, strange energies, uh, mm -hmm. metaphysical conundrums, the koala, you mentioned the koala at the edge of space and time, of course, earlier. Uh, there's a full sidebar going into even further detail on nanites. Um, mm -hmm. you know, here's an interesting little bit. Why don't you talk a little, because I think I, in 
in some degree, nanites and parasites and symbiotes are all kind of weirdly related, connected kind of. But talk a little bit about the uh, the section you wrote up about uh, parasites and symbiotes. Yeah, um, I think that there's some terminology that was not used right in Lower Decks. Um, and it it was during that episode with Cupid's Errant Arrow, and I, I specifically talk about it here, where um, they refer to the little thing that that Boimler has as as a parasite, and it's actually a symbiote. Um, and, and the difference is, is that a symbiote helps the host in some way, shape, or form to be better than it would be by itself. Okay, and a parasite harms the host to benefit only itself. So Boimler having this little thing on him that helps him become irresistible to the opposite sex is a benefit to him. It actually helps helps that creature reproduce and also helps the symbiote reproduce. So it's a benefit to both of them. Therefore, it's actually a symbiote, just kind of like a trill symbiote. It's a benefit to both of the beings that are there, right? So parasites tend to hurt the host. So if it was a parasite, it would likely hurt Boimler's life in some way, shape, or form to only benefit itself. Well, can't then in that case, a symbiote, you know, become a parasite in the sense that it gets you with somebody and then that relationship starts destroying you. So now it's almost parasitical in nature. Yeah. But then that's like a, a social parasite, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. But yeah, I, I try to like define what a parasite and, and a symbiote is. Um, and like a medical nanites would be a symbiote that it's there to help repair damage. It benefits you. Um, the nanites aren't going out of control and turning you into gray goo, but they are there to help you. And you're providing a environment where they can actually reproduce and continue to help you. Whereas like the Borg nanites are a parasite. They go in and actively harm you for the benefit of themselves and the collective. Man, I could riff on that because then they're, but at the same time, they're elevating you in some senses. They're making, they're making a better you. You're just losing self, right? Yes. Yes. So you could argue that from the Borg collective's perspective, they are a symbiote, but from everyone else's perspective, it would be parasitical in nature. But that's deep trying to put the nanites in with parasites and, and symbiotes might be stretching it a bit like trying N to define nanites is more a tool to help yeah. it achieve its yeah but in one way you, you can also think of nanites as being living things they're just made out of artificial non-biological material so exocomps would be in the same kind of category as nanites nanites could be self-aware couldn't they yeah totally we see this we is see, great we see little little nano uh, creatures in TNG being completely self-aware and self-organizing. Like the ones that, I think it's the ones that, that Wesley accidentally releases, right? They start self-organizing. Yeah, the ones the exocomps were protecting, the, right? Was it, the exocomps were actually protecting, weren't they? Or no, I'm getting no, mixed no, up different episode. episode. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. the Jordy LaForge terraforming episode, never mind. So yeah, I, I guess that sort of, uh, this whole section starts adding into this idea of uh, what is life then? Uh, you know, it can be completely artificial, but it's if it grows, adapts and is self-aware, then that's life. Um, 
But yeah, this this proves why even if people are not into the humor of lower decks, that this book is definitely a big because just this this science alone, this chapter, it's so good. Cool. All right. Medical nanites go into cybernetics. And that's that's the next section that I talk about, like how cybernetics and memory loss, because we're, we're, we're you know, we're 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 dealing with Rutherford and his memory loss and his cybernetics. And it's this idea that in order to fix a problem that is inside your 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 nervous system, like your your memory or like in, in your brain somewhere. All right. That sometimes the damaged tissue that's there will need to be excised along with some material that might be around it. So the cybernetic implant can actually uh, integrate itself with your biology properly. So you might lose more than um, was actually damaged. So uh, I give some ideas of how that might affect a character, um, how you should approach it as a player to your game master. Um, and any sensitive issues that might might arise because memory loss is a thing that actually is a problem in real life. And uh, let's be sensitive about it and talk to the players at the table if there is any problems with role-playing a character that suffers from memory loss. Smart. And did you also do the part on cybernetics in the Discovery book where they actually have yeah. the cybernetic care? Yeah, I thought you did that right up too. So I know that goes into more cybernetics there. Uh, there were a lot of cybernetic characters that came out of the Klingon Federation War. Yeah, yeah. It, because it's it's an easy way to fix damage. I shouldn't say easy. It's a way to quickly fix uh, damage to a person where... Uh, we, we clearly know that it, there's technology out there in, in the Star Trek universe that you can regrow damaged organs or, or basically regrow anything, but it's uh, how bad the damage is or how quickly you need it fixed because it might take two or three months to regrow an arm, but you might be able to install a cybernetic arm in a couple hours if it's available, right? And then in the 24th century, it might be the same thing. It's I can just replicate artificial eyes or, you know, some sort of sensory organ and install it, or I'm going to have to keep you in sick bay underneath like the isolation dome to keep you stable while I grow something. And do I need you on duty? Does the ship need you on duty? What are the concerns here? And I guess that's a different way to like approach it in, in game is do I want my character out from this horrific wound for a couple missions? While he's stuck in sick bay, he or she is stuck in sick bay, or do I want to approach it by uh, getting cybernetics on the character? And what will that mean for the character? And what will that mean for the game? Just yeah, ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is another one of those cases where um, you can certainly go on a certain level and keep it light and fun and lower decks mm -hmm. and silly. Uh, but if you really dig into this, you could get into that whole kind of cyberpunk um, aspect where where like you are the like the more implants you need or the more implants you choose to install like there's a there's a corresponding potential loss of humanity and mm -hmm. what does that mean for your character right like like as your as your character is overtaken by either the nanites or the cybernetic implants or whatever they start to lose that sense of self or that sense of humanity uh i mean like even you know we we know that uh different parts of the brain control different things and there's different mm -hmm. stuff going on. And like you lose pieces of that, then all of a sudden, I mean, like you, you did a great job writing up a lot of that stuff, but uh, to, to take that into a role-playing game 
and to really dig down into that. I, I think that would be a great conversation for a session zero with your fellow players. Like if you had a character concept that was, you know, starting to be to lose their sense of self because of the need to have the cybernetics to keep them alive. Like, what does that mean for the, mm. the character and the conversations you can have? And, oh, gosh, what if one of the other players is a is playing the counselor? Boy, you get some seriously deep uh, mm -hmm. uh, role playing scenes out of that. And uh, there's just so much potential there. And it all feels real. Like we've seen it on on the show, right? Like uh, Barail has has a lot of cybernetics installed into him as he's dying. His, his Vedic wind or Kai wind desperately needs him to be alive long enough to get through a, um, a negotiation. But so, you know, they have to install so much stuff into him to keep him alive that any sense of who Barail was is gone. Mm -hmm. uh, and then to a lesser extent, you know, Nog gets his, uh, gets his leg uh, implant replacement and that has an impact on him. I, mean, I don't know that it necessarily took a lot of who he was away, but it certainly changed him as a character. Mm -hmm. And that, that sort of stuff is just like that. That's, that's the, that, that's the yummy stuff that you want to have in a role-playing game session with the right group of players. Uh, to really dig down into that stuff. So this is this is all great, great, great stuff. And this is what you know fans probably aren't expecting to see in a book about lower decks. And I love that yeah. because I, I always want to surprise the fans a little bit and uh, and give them something something different. So uh, yeah, great, yeah, great it, stuff here. It's not all Kalos's fornication helmet. You know, it, <laughs> it it has to have some sort of like grounding in in sci-fi. You know, thoughtful. What, how, how am I going to approach this or, or these, these kind of high concept ideas? I, I think one of like the biggest thing with cybernetic implants that I, that I tend to think about is with Rutherford, it's his connection to the world is completely different because when you see things from his perspective, there's always this HUD and that changes his perception of the world around him. Mm -hmm. How does that like, how is he different if everything else stayed the same, how would he be different just from before where he's seeing the world through his own eyes and in, in this natural sense? And now all of a sudden there's a HUD overlay on everything mm -hmm. and there's constant information streaming to him for like his emotions or, you know, data on who this person is um, because his memory might be spotty at times Yeah, that, that changes a person. And it's that kind of disconnection from reality that that can cause a problem. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know we could go even further. <laughs> um, I think yeah. there's just, there's so much here we could unpack, and uh, like even getting into like the whole uh, that whole memory question, right? Like like what are his memories? Like what what can he believe? What's an mm -hmm. implant? What's real? What's like what what doesn't he? What did he lose that he doesn't remember losing? Right? Like like mm -hmm. it's that whole questioning of self and memory and oh boy there's all kinds of stuff you can do with that i think we're going to need to do a riff episode just on this chapter yeah yeah seriously we'll have to come back yeah. to that point um but yeah let's move on yeah <laughs> so, sorry yeah no 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 don't, don't apologize this is all great stuff this is all great great grist for the rp rp world uh let's uh, so that was all section 4.1 that was like the first half of the of chapter four just a wealth of material there just to dig into um, but let's let's move on to uh, the second one. And again, this is a section of the of the book that I don't really think anybody's really expecting to see in Lower Decks, because um, like I knew this is something I wanted to fit into a book somewhere. And just you know, knowing the production schedule, mm -hmm. this was the best place to put it. Um, and, uh, and and so what we've done is, of course, this is this is coming off of um, um, Lower Decks. And you know, I, I apologize. I'm gonna I'm gonna seize here. Hold on. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't worry. Just so everyone knows, while he's sneezing, my allergies, I went to North Carolina and came back, killed me, my allergies. Oh. I ha- I've had this cough for three weeks. I'm not even I'm sick, but I'm so embarrassed to be around people because I think they're going to think I have COVID or something. So I like can hardly go three sentences without coughing now, which is why I keep muting myself today. So don't worry, Jim, I empathize. Yeah, my apologies. So like we we, we tend to do these pretty much uh, we're one hit wonders, right? One shot, one go. We don't really I mean, uh, Jeff might do a little editing on the back end, but uh, mm-hmm. um, this is this is straight shot. So apologies for the sneeze. But like sometimes you just can't you can't stop it. And I'd rather take my, put myself on mute than uh, have you all be exposed to that. <laughs> Don't worry, Aaron anyway, will write up some game mechanics for sneezing. There you go. Uh, anyway, so all that being said, uh, so the second part of the of this chapter is uh, uh, we titled it the Menagerie, and mm-hmm. uh, we 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 were I was thinking about this coming off of uh, uh, Utopia Planitia, where we did all these great uh, generational things about how to build a starship, how to build a mm-hmm. space station, how to build a, uh, a small craft, right? And uh, we knew that in some of the other books, there were other things kind of sort of similar to this. And I was like, you know, we never really did a uh, a top down how to build an alien creature kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like we got we got how to build NPCs. We got how to build ships, you know, all this stuff. Oops, excuse me. Stupid. Oh, that cat. Jeez. OK. I'm all right. All good. Uh, anyway, so um, it's just it's just that night I, I sneezed mm-hmm. and I'm like, that's not going to stuff over. Huh? Whatever. Uh, it's lower decks to hit its finest. <laughs> Things are happening in the meta. Uh, anyway, so we wanted to have an opportunity to finally put in into place some some detailed rules on how to build out your own creatures. So, uh, with that being said, uh, Aaron, why don't you walk us through uh, some of the some of the stuff that you dropped in here? Yeah, when when you told me that the, you wanted to have something like this in in here, I actually thought that this assignment was the most difficult one that I've had for for Star Trek Adventures. Believe it or not. And it was because I, I kept thinking starships are easy, you know, because you can define them very, very easily with their with their systems. But life forms are infinite. How do I really try to boil this down into easily digestible bits without getting really too far into the weeds and, and writing 300 pages on or more on designing life forms. So it was more, uh, this feels to me more like guidelines. Here's, here's an outline for how you would design your creature. And it's because creatures uh, aren't equal in, in, in nature, right? Like a bunny is not going to be able to stand up to a bear. And they're two very different creatures with two very different concepts behind them. So like step one would have to be like it, what I wrote here is environment and niche. What environment does it live in? What niche does it does it exist in inside its ecosystem? Okay, so you know, is it is it from a class M planet? Is so it's kind of recognizable to us. All right. Well, if it's from a class M planet, what is is it like an insectoid ish? Is it a dinosaur ish? Mammal, you know, mammal analogs there's still a huge variety, but what niche is it in? So is it a predator? Is it a, a top predator? Is it an uh, omnivore? Is it an herbivore herd animal? Is it like an insect? Something like that. So think of kind of where you want to put it in your world and then describe your traits. Okay. Because now that you have this idea of, of the environment that it's from and its niche, you can start trying to go, okay, well, uh, traits kind of describe the creature in a lot of ways, like its exact environment. If it's from a class M planet, is it an avian? 
Is it a ground burrowing animal? Is it, is it just a, a four-legged ground animal, two-legged, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and really try to go into it. Is it nocturnal? Is it, uh, you know, just all these different ideas. Describe traits, okay? So it, it helps you kind of narrow in exactly what this creature is. And then step three is scale attributes, disciplines, and focuses. And I, I try to base this on the size of the creature because larger creatures can be can be more complex. So, um, you know, humans are a bit more complex in our skills, abilities, uh, how we how we act than, let's say, a fly. Not saying that a fly isn't a complex creature because it is, but it also isn't a tool user. All right. So, you know, we go from microscopic all the way up to cosmozoan size giant creatures that can can move through space. And the larger that it is, uh, the more attribute points, the more disciplines, focuses and talents that it can generally have. Which is important because all these crazy creatures in Lower Decks and, of course, in Star Trek. But it seems like every single episode of Lower Decks are some strange creature that, yeah. that they're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and I also tried to uh, justify like the idea of more focuses and talents with the larger it is because larger creatures tend to, at least on Earth, uh, the larger the creature, the longer it tends to want to live. That's not always the case. But longer lived creatures tend to develop more learned or or inherited skills. Let's put it that way. And that's that's making a very broad generalization, admittingly. But again, this is trying to do a a very top down, broad. Here I'm I'm giving you guidelines, not writing a dissertation. I love it. I have one question for you, um, um, Jim. Okay. None of this was a random table. For generating uh, yeah, I, I, I uh, well, a, I don't think we had the space for another Ooh. random table. Uh, but B, I don't think it really lent itself to a random table, right? Because this is really about like being a game master, sitting down at the table and thinking about what kind of a creature do I want to make out? Now, I mean, certainly you could very easily turn this into a random table and like, oh, it's mm-hmm. got, oh, it's energy based. Oh, and it's got uh, mimicry. Oh, and it's got uh, multi limbs. Sure, I mean, you can do it random like that. Why not? Because I like, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to bet some of the creatures in lower decks are pretty random. Like, yeah. let's, let's make it a let's make it a hydra with like 30 heads and uh, you know a scorpion t- stinger and uh, oh, and it, it can turn invisible. Okay, sure, that's a horrifying creature. That would be fun to throw at uh, the the crew. But uh, um, yeah, I would yeah, encourage I, people I if they want to just make their own random table. Just throw out the dice on that. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I didn't want to put a random table in for this just because. I assume that when the game master is designing the creature, they don't want it to be random. They're trying to stat out something that they already have an idea for in their plot. They, they, they kind of want it to be able to do certain things. So here's how to give it, here's how to get it to do the things that you want it to do in your plot rather than just kind of randomly doing it. Yeah, absolutely. It could have random tables, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I thought that would just be too much for this. Again, these kind of broad, broad guidelines. So, you know, I give ideas about attacks, like what what creatures can, how they can attack, what kind of defenses they might or might not have. 
Um, if you're a fleshy gas bag or if you're a heavily armored like Ankylosaur, you know, there's a big difference there, right? Um, really fun stuff. So fun. Yeah. And so random table, I think that, that would be a great addition to uh, uh, continuing mission, right? One, one yeah. of the writers wants to take the Lower Decks campaign guide take all this content and say, Hey, you know, if you've got the Lord's campaign guide and you want to make a, make a new, a new creature, but you don't want to necessarily, or you don't necessarily have the time to sit down and uh, cogitate on it. Then uh, here's a couple of random tables that coincide with all the content that's already in here. And I'll, uh, I'll plug Tony, it. I'll plug Tony pie because if you go to continuing missions and you go to the very top bar, it has two creature generators there you go. and, and uh, you can go in there and, and it's not exactly like this, of course, but it's pretty, has a lot, has a lot of stuff in there that, that could help people uh, use those randomizers to create their own creatures. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. But you know, at the same time, I'm also all for game masters putting in the, uh, putting in the sweat equity and, uh, and thinking about it. Like, you know, and this is no slide on anybody, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I, I remember back in the day as a game master, like random, random tables were a blessing. And the, there are still days I wish I had a good random table for names because I'm, I'm horrible coming up with names on the fly. Um, so I, I really need, I, I like to have random tables, especially for names or at least name generators. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so if you need if you need a random table, then, you know, like you said, Tony's got a couple, I'm sure somebody will create a new one based on all this great content. And, uh, you know, if you don't, if you want to actually think about it and be super intentional about creating a creature, um, then, you know, you can use this stuff, but, uh, you know, to, to Aaron's credit, like, uh, this is a great toolbox and we got it in five pages, right. Or, yep. I mean, even, even four, if you count the, if you pull the artwork out, I mm -hmm. a lot of great artwork in here. So, you know, four pages, here's everything, well, not everything, but here's all the great tools you need to start building your own creatures. And I think this is a piece of the game that. I don't want to say it was lacking, but we just haven't had an opportunity to to plug this kind of thing in somewhere. I think it, it, if I had thought of it, you know, three years ago, I would have put it in a Shackleton. Um, but uh, there was so much stuff in Shackleton already that I was just like, we've already got a great randomizer for sectors and planets and stuff. And that was like, that was five or six pages. And we, yeah, I think you did a sterling job on that, just getting all as much as we could condense down into, yeah. and the, you know, there were some tables in there, but um, that could have easily like been that could have easily uh, been 30, 30 pages. Yeah, it could have been its own book, honestly. Yeah. I mean, you know, if I just let you loose and have you write a 200 page science Star Trek science RPG book, it, it would be it would be amazing. But uh well, yeah. I'm sure most people would think it would be really dry and <laughs> and, and 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 dulls from a story perspective, but yeah, it yeah. would be filled with information that was sciencey. But I, you know. I, I give an example for for this that you can kind of follow through and 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 it shows how to build a creature that we've seen on screen, which is the Genesis worm that that is that kind of weird, long, snaky looking thing. And I, I even give it a name. What, what what do I call it here? I call it uh, uh, Macrobacillus Halodurans Genesis. -y. So like just a weird Latin name. Um, that's kind of what I think is also fun is coming up with fun Latin names for, for critters, even if they're not exactly appropriate, <laughs> but it, it's, <laughs> it's fun. And then it, it lends like an interesting sounding name to uh, the game that you're running just because you can say, Oh yeah, that there's a, a, a library file from the computer here about this creature and you can hand it off and it has this cool looking name and, you know, I don't know. 
Well, that's how I use, I mean, I literally use pieces from all, all these books or Wikipedia or whatever, just to create those library files to cut and paste into our game since I play on discord primarily or to hand to my players. So it's so valuable. It, I, I have to think less and I can play more. And I, I, I put in a combination of what's already been published plus some uh, extra things in here about like talents and special rules that, that the critters can have. But because I, I do know that there were pieces of this published in, you know, a whole bunch of the different publications already. Mm-hmm. And then I tried to fill in some gaps that I saw. But mm-hmm. yeah, that that that's it. That's chapter four. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we, we've gone on for what, like an hour now. And like, seriously, folks, chapter four is 11 pages. Like there's not there's not that many pages in that book, in that set, in that chapter. But those 11 pages are absolutely packed full of stuff. So uh, for you to think about it, and like I'm confident we could riff and create several seasons worth of material just out of those 11 pages, right? And uh, go on all day long about it. So uh, seriously, folks, check it out. Because like I said, we we try to surprise you with every release by putting stuff in there that you wouldn't expect to see. And uh, I hope you you have a chance to check it out and dig it and and, and then make use of it. Because I just can't wait to see what the fans come up with in terms of like, wacky unusual creatures and special phenomenon and just all kinds of stuff that uh, um you know just let their let their give them again it's like we talk about this all the time right i'm i'm sure people are sick of hearing it but like we just give them more tools mm-hmm. and then i just want to see what they build with it like like look at all these cool tools we're giving you in lower decks and now go build something with it and show it to us and send it to michael for continuing mission or just post it on the uh you know the facebook group or the reddit or you know whatever let share it share it with the with the other fans and let's have some fun with it. So yeah, it's great stuff, Aaron. Aaron yeah, always, always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank, thank you. I, 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 I'm not, uh, I'm thinking that the, our, uh, episode for chapter seven will be like four hours long since <laughs> this was 11 pages. And, and I, I wrote all of chapter seven and it's, I don't know, like 30, 30 something. Maybe we'll break it up. Maybe we'll break it up. It's a continuing conversation, you know, so that that's what we do. But Aaron, it's always such a pleasure. I mean, I I know I have fun playing with you constantly online on Discord and I'd have it no other way. So it's really nice whenever you come on the show and spread your love and knowledge of science and pseudoscience. We love both of them. Awesome. Well, I'm happy. I'm happy to share it. And I'm sorry for babbling. And and, uh, Mm -mm. this is the shows for this. Remember that. That's why we come. No apologies necessary. We okay. will edit that out. No apologies necessary. <laughs> okay. Okay. Do not do All not right. apologize for your passion. <clears throat> exactly. All right. Cool. All right. So we head off into gratitude. Um, uh, what I want to do again is, you know, normally I do the brick and mortar, but I wanted to expand the love a little bit and ask ask the crowd there in the social media universe what they love about STA. Uh, Jonathan Rupert he writes that he loves how Star Trek the system feels. One way he tries to quantify it to people is basically that Star Trek doesn't rely on action or fighting as a show. Usually people come to the table for a TTRPG expecting some combat, even if it's loose. STA feels like Trek in that you never even think about combat unless the situation truly calls for it. And often players will seek peaceful resolutions to situations rather than fight it out. Unless it's a Klingon game then things are much different. Laugh out loud. All right. So thank you, Jonathan Rupert. We appreciate you telling us why you appreciate the game. Aaron, what about you? Gratitude? I'm I'm grateful to have the opportunity to like be able to watch a television show and sit down and think for a while about how things work um, and how 
how I can explain things using real science or close to real science, let's say, and then share it with everyone out there. And, and at least a few of people out there might actually like it. That's seriously gratitude that I have that opportunity. Thank you very much, folks. Hey, man, I, I, I told you, you've stunned me more than one occasion. I have an adventure that's going a certain way. You throw out some science and I have to go run to Wikipedia to, to be like, ah, I got to gotta balance this back. So Aaron, it's you keep me thinking, which is why I like playing. So thank you for that. All right, Jim, take us out. I, I am I am every day and I know I don't talk about this much or I, I know I've talked about it some, but uh, I, I am grateful every day to be doing this and to have the opportunity to do this, to, to take a to take a franchise that I love so much and that I've loved for my entire life and to be able to kind of shepherd this this game line along to the next level and to bring all of you along with me and to see you all just make such amazing things and then to be able to share those amazing things with fans all around the world. And then to see them do stuff with it, like it just, it just builds on each other, right? It's like, oh, I get to do this. And then I get to give other people opportunities to write things that they're passionate about. And then, and then, and then it just, it just builds on itself. And then to be able to share it with people and to see what they do with it and to see how excited they are every time a new release comes out and, uh, and, and to see the, the Twitches and the YouTube channels and the, the conversations that they're having online. And it's just, it's so uh it's humbling to be involved in it but it's so inspiring at the same time because it's such a different beast than other rpgs that i'm familiar with because like so many of the fans approach it in a very thoughtful fashion and 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 they it, like the game makes you think and i think this is a testament to nathan dowdell for making such a great game system that gets that gives you an opportunity to do combat but that's not the focus right the focus is about the characters and the storytelling and the and the dramatic situations that you get into and, and of course, you know, Star Trek is a morality play and, and it gives you the opportunity to have these really deep, thoughtful, thoughtful conversations. And it, like, I mean, 99 times out of 100, when I come out of a game session for Star Trek, I'm like, I, I'm so wired because I'm thinking about all the things that happen and all the possibilities that are going on and like all the different directions the story could go. And uh, and I see it every time you guys deliver me a, a manuscript. It's like, oh, man, there's just so much stuff here. I just wish I had the time to actually, you know, play or run it. <laughs> and I'll get there eventually. I try. I'm sure, but uh, I'm just grateful to be doing this, uh, uh, and and that people are digging it. Because, like, I know. I mean, we, I've said it before. Like, if if we didn't have fans that were eating this stuff up, we wouldn't still be doing it. And uh, so, I'm grateful to the fans that that they're doing it, and I'm grateful to Paramount and grateful to Modifius for keeping it alive, keeping it going here, and. Uh, uh, you know, the sky's the limit at this point, and we'll we'll just keep it going. So, just yeah, a lot of a lot of gratitude um, for everything that's happening. All right, and grateful to everyone who keeps listening in, tuning sure. into continuing conversations, even going back and catching us on Spotify or or YouTube or wherever your favorite. Uh, podcasting services of course studio timbo putting us out there across all of those platforms so thank you to everyone who keeps playing star trek rpg and keeps the conversation continuing all right idic live long and prosper be safe be well we'll talk to you all next time 